0: When the phone rings and it's for me. Who's batting? Who am I facing? Nervous? I want the nervous thing. What go him. Keep cool. Keep cool. Keep it down, buddy. I can't trust what I got in the bullpen. Number Where's the star? Here goes nothing. Sports illustrated. Get the feeling. <laughs> one more time set, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down, a fastball, swung on, hit the deep center field, Bernie Williams goes back, and it is, get out the line, red and the mustard this time, grab it is a grand salami, and the Mariners lead it 10-6, I don't From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex in straight out of God's Country, Holly's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K-Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Cagalackie, half man, half podcast machine, back into Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. I want to welcome all of you back this week for yet another edition of BKP, as we like to celebrate the uh, you know, rich history of baseball through her timeless stories of players and moments that have been woven into the fabric of this beautiful game. Within the past year, I've probably covered almost well, 150 years of baseball from the first professional team, the Cincinnati Redlegs, all the way up to the biography of the machine, the iconic Albert Pujols, who just retired last year after reaching and surpassing that uh, 700 home run milestone, and now I spent my Tuesdays attempting to fill in the uh, you know all the spaces in between by hitting the indelible moments that you know, have pretty much been embedded into our baseball conscience. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Spotify, Google Play, iHeart, Apple, Stitcher, Chromecast, Podbean, I'm all tangled up in the web, brow. Seek, and you shall find. And for my not-so-tech-savvy Gen Xers and Boomers, go on over to my website, diamondsnakejig.podbean.com, and you'll have the keys to my vaults of archives there, from all the shows that I've done up to this point. I will never charge you for the content here at bag No Patreon, no pay-to-play crowdsourcing. I'm just going to roll up my sleeves every Tuesday and come through with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Hammer and Hank, dude. All I need from you, my loyal Steamheads, is a donation, free donation, free uh, five-star reviews. If you're on any of my platforms that enable you to rate and review my performance, please do so as easy fit. I ain't scared. These simple things ensure the viability of this show on the search engines. They uh, help me to continue to choose, you know, uh, to chase my broadcasting dream and do the one thing that I know I was born to do. And that's uh, preach the gospel of baseball to the fine people like yourself. I take this show seriously. Some may say too serious in my private life. Uh, besides my daughters, it is the most important thing inside my ecosystem here. And my biggest fear is to let my audience down from my loyal OG lieutenants who have followed my career in pods and video all the way down to the soldiers I continue to pick up each and every week as, you know, my CMED army continues to grow exponentially every single week. And with the growth comes bigger challenges, more expectations. And folks, I'm here to tell you, I'm up to the challenge. I get some great uh, messages this week. I'm kind of behind on the emails and messages. Sorry if I haven't replied back, but... I did get a uh, message from Jeremy in Columbus, Ohio, and he basically said that you know he loves the show, listens every week at work. He's encouraging me to keep on pushing, but the thing that made me chuckle was when he was telling me he grew up in Wyoming, and he said he still has friends who live there who love baseball, and he promised to to deliver some listeners to me from the great state of Wyoming. and this goes back to when I took the audience through some of the metrics and stats for my first season on that Joe DiMaggio show, and I was lamenting that while the show is now listened to in what what is now uh, 24 countries worldwide, we just added Israel to the list this week. So, uh, you know, to my Israeli brothers and sisters, I humbly say, Toda Rabah. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. And... By all means, pass the gospel of baseball throughout the entire West Bank and beyond. Let's use baseball as a vehicle to get to common ground, find some peace and love in our hearts for one another. Okay. So, where was I? So, Jeremy sent me this email, and he promises to drop the gospel in the great street of Wyoming. And, quote, I'm going to bring you those listeners you deserve. Which, bro, right there, powerful words, man, thank you. And he said that because... You know, I was opining how you know I'm heard in 25 countries around the globe. Yet there's still four states here in the United States that BK, BKP has yet to conquer. I'm about full transparency here: Alaska, Utah, South Dakota, Wyoming. And look, all those states in their own you know way kind of makes sense, but it does make me like a little silly. I got this narcissist beast that lives inside of me, and it's always been a blessing and a, and a flaw. I have a primal need to consume these last four states, but in some ways, I do find it funny, and it keeps me grounded. So, Jeremy, I want to thank you for joining the ranks of my Seamhead Army. I appreciate and applaud your efforts for me. Uh, Bring me Wyoming, and I will reward you with riches that will last you three lifetimes. Right? (laughs) Okay, I'm exaggerating. I'll do a bonus pod for you or something. How about that? Uh, These remaining four states... They're going to love me when they get a taste, right? So we just have to kick these doors down in year two and show them what they're missing. And yes, yes, prime's on the table for any of you freaking sea meds in, the, in a, uh, the form of bonus topics. If you want to bring the heads of these four states on a platter. And I really enjoy interacting with you fans. Got an anonymous, anonymous message from a fan in Connecticut. It said he's been listening since day one. He turned his boys on to it. They listen every week. They talk about the topics amongst themselves during the week. And it says, quote, this is the greatest baseball podcast show around. Connecticut is in the house. Uh, Didn't give me his name, but gave me the love. That's anonymous love. And, folks, you can't put a, a price tag on that. I'm truly, truly blessed. So, like I said, I don't... Read all of them on the air, but I, you know, I at least try to respond back. I'm nothing without my good brothers and sisters in the audience. And, you know, I'll never lose sight of that. I'll never forget it. You, you, you my beautiful minded of in this audience. Yeah, you're the very foundation of this empire that I've envisioned since I was a little boy with a mouthful of baseball, uh, gum, and, and a pocketful of cards. If you want to reach out to me, the email address is backwards, kpod at gmail.com. We're on YouTube, Instagram, backwards K Pod. Our Twitter handle is at back underscore K underscore Podcast. And I'm always on Facebook on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group page. And I'm usually there hanging out with my core of OG lieutenants. So with all that out of the way, I see the catcher. Is ready to come down. Whoa. That's a great throw down to the second base. Who's up on that dish? Is that my boy Adley Rockstar? <laughs> Damn, I can't wait for baseball. It's coming. We're we're inside two weeks now, folks. So, with that amazing throw to second base, it's time to load this runaway freight train. That is backwards, K-Bod. I'm calling all aboard. As we will be taking a trip back to Kansas City in the 1980s to examine... The life and times of the Royals' great closer and human being, Dan Quisenberry. Now, I've had some people give me quizzical looks when he was announced on the 2023 schedule of shows. A couple guys, you know, flat out asked me, why him? Well, look, I think he's a very undervalued uh, as a pitcher who was a major part of the evolution of the closer position during the 1980s. I also think he's one of the finest human beings to ever be a superstar. He, he was kind, outgoing, witty, intelligent, and he left us way too fucking early. In his autobiography, which I highly suggest, it's called Days Like This. He wrote, it lasted so long, it went so fast. It seems like yesterday. It seems like never. Just as unique a ball player as we have ever experienced in this beautiful game. From my perspective, there never has been, probably never will be, a superstar status pitcher like Dan Quisenberry ever again. He literally ambushed the baseball scene out of nowhere with his unorthodox right-hand submarine delivery. Right-hand batters of the day, they, they had this unenviable task of digging into the box and turning their heads to the left to pick up the pitch that had to appear like it was being thrown by the third baseman's chest instead of, you know, Quiz's hand. He was undrafted, signed on the win by the Royals, but he would be a major catalyst. For the first two World Series teams in 1980 and 1985, he would set the Major League bar for saves with 45 in 1983, and he would finish with 244 career saves, the second most in Royal history, as well as a stat line that, quite honestly, is similar to Hall of Famer Bruce Suter. Uh, Quiz had impeccable control. In 1,053 innings pitched, he averaged only 1.4. Walks per nine innings. He was born February 7th, 1953. Exactly 70 years ago upon the release of this pod. On February 7th, 2023. He revolutionized really pitching. But he was so much more than a closer. So much more than a baseball player. He was a true funny man. He was a man of faith. A veritable quote machine, a poet, a loving husband and father, a loved and cherished teammate, a player rapper, a humanitarian. As tenacious a competitor as you will ever find, and he was the inspiration for some really, really kick-ass Royals teams. When he died in 1998, at the unfair age of 45, from cancer, Joe Posnaski of the Kansas City Star wrote, He made everyone who knew him feel alive. He continues, people needed to be near him, needed to feel his arm on their shoulder. They needed to tell him a story. They needed to hear the wild hunches and the beautiful thoughts that clattered around in that amazing mind of his. Even now, uh, 25 years after Quiz was taken from the baseball universe, he is sorely missed by former teammates as well as the Royals' uh, faithful fans from that era. Kansas City Hall of Fame third baseman George Brett on his former teammate. Dan never took credit for saves, but he always took the blame for losses. Regardless of what happened, Brett continues on to say about a month before he passed, I went and had lunch at his house with him. He knew he was going to lose this battle for his life. I sat and I looked at him and I said, oh, You know, why you? Why you? And Quiz looks me in the eye and he says, Why not me? I can handle this. And to this day, George will never forget that last lunch that he had with his friend, nor that conversation. When Quisenberry was at his ultimate peak, Royal bullpen coaches can recall picking up the bullpen phone over 100 times a year, hanging up and commanding the Australian to get up. And they called him the Australian and the bully because that unorthodox sub- submarine uh, d- delivery from down under. But he actually came from Santa Monica, California. Again, born 70 years ago today upon the release of this pod. His nickname, Quiz, it it spoke to both his inquisitive, curious mind and the riddle of his now slow-stuff success. He and his brother, Marty, they, they, they were very close growing up. Their parents, Roberta and John, divorced when Dan was seven years old. His single mother worked crazy hours to keep the family going. And Dan and Marty, they pretty much had pulled weight of the house to themselves. And, you know, the Quisenberry unit, it ran through a plethora of babysitters at this time who just simply couldn't hang with these two overactive uh, Quisenberry boys. Now, eventually, Roberta would fall in love and remarry a man named Al Miola. And he had, you know, he instilled a little discipline in these boys with a well-targeted foot in the ass that would have made Red Foreman proud. And Dan recalls, he, he used to make us do chores around the house all the times, and, you know, sometimes we would get a little sassy with him, and, you know, we needed to be spanked. The brothers grew to love, Art though. He, uh, he uh, encouraged the boys to go out and play baseball, and that basically saved them from the ballroom dancing embarrassment classes that uh, the mother, Roberta, had intended to enroll them in. And while the brothers never played on the same organized team together, The Quinsenberry boys were always competing against one another in the front yard or in the living room with the Stratomatic Baseball game. And they've both been bitten by the baseball bug by now, and it brought these two already close brothers even closer together. They were going to play baseball at Costa Mesa High. His brother Marty was considered the superior athlete of the two. And he was a submarine pitcher long before Dan adopted that delivery. Dan was more, uh, you know, almost a sidearm pitcher at this point. Marty went on to play at the Orange Coast Community College and Southern California College, where he was scouted by the Kansas City Royals. But Marty blew out his arm and he would abandon baseball for the ministry. And I do find it ironic that, you know, Dan was not drafted, but his brother nearly is, by the team that he winds up playing for, the Kansas City Royals. Dan followed in his big bro's footsteps. He went to Orange Coast. He wins the team MVP in 1973. That's a sophomore season. And it was there that Ben Hines, the baseball coach for Laverne College, recruited Quiz And Dan was always a little quirky for a right hander and he had a restless mind, and while attending classes at Laverne, he kept switching majors. He went from business major to religion to sociology to psychology to history, but probably the biggest college payoff, it came when he took up a square dancing class. Coach Hines was a big believer of balance and footwork on the diamond. So, Quiz enrolled at the behest of his uh, baseball coach here. And it was there that Dan was instantly smitten when he met Janie Howard, his soulmate and the love of his life. On the ball field, Quiz was considered to be a hothead. Winning was the only option. And, you know, for me, that's just a crazy thing to imagine because he never showed those instincts in the majors that I can remember. But eventually, you know, he began a season and mature, and he became a much more composed player with poise. And he was once asked, what made you calm down from the beginning of that first year? And he quickly replied, Janie and Christianity. In his first two seasons at Laverne, he was exceptional going 12-2 in his first season, his junior year, and in uh, his senior campaign, he goes 19-7. During that senior year, he pitched a uh, rubber arm total of 194 innings pitched, and he made the NAIA All-American team. Now, unfortunately, all those innings, that he took some bite off his fastball, and it lowered his delivery to a sidearm window. And Quiz recollects how, you know, no scouts were banging his door down to give him a shot, even after those two superior seasons. And Coach Hines, one of Quiz's first loyal believers, he calls Rosie Gilhausen, the same Royal Scout that had looked at his older brother Marty just a few years ago. And he asked Rosie, "Uh, would you be interested in Marty Quisenberry's little brother? And Gil Hudson says, sure, man, I, I got an over roster on the uh, Class A Waterloo team in Iowa, but here's the thing, he got to be in my house within the hour. So, upon hearing this, Dan runs out of his coach's house, he jumps in his battered-down shitbox gremlin, and he begins racing down the streets of Santa Ana to begin his Major League destiny. Upon meeting the Royal Scout, He was signed to a $500 a month contract, and $500 in 1974, and has the purchasing power of around $2,400 in the 2023 economy. On June 27th, I'm sorry, 22nd, 1975, Quiz had a most memorable debut to his professional baseball career when he was formally baptized at a church in Waterloo in the morning, And then that afternoon, he twirled a seven-inning complete game victory. His first and only game he would ever start in the minors or majors. Well, that's because the Waterloo manager, John Sullivan, he informed the young Quisenberry he was going to be moving him to the bully. Because he needed a reliever who could deal strikes. And Dan took it as a demotion. Although Sullivan figures that, you know, this is probably the best way that Quiz has a shot to make it to the majors. Although, honestly, neither one of them believed he would ever make it to the majors. Even his teammates on that team and in the future, like Willie Wilson, never thought he had a snowball's chance in hell of making it to the majors. But... Quiz went about his work, and he stayed humble. He picked up four saves, sported a 2.45 uh, ERA in Waterloo, before being called up to Jacksonville A, And that was for eight games at the end of the season. In 1976, he divided his time in A-ball, A. He was effective, but as Quiz can recall, no one seemed to notice him. And at the end of the year, he marries Janie, and they decide to spend the offseason at their honeymoon destination of cordialine Idaho. they live in an uh, apartment behind a funeral home by day quiz worked in the town's uh, sporting goods store and by night he worked for the mortuary where in his words he and another guy would drive around in the middle of the night picking up dead bodies and throwing them in the back of a hearse <laughs> oh my goodness he spends all of 1977 at Double-A Jacksonville. He peers in 33 games. He posts a 1.34 ERA. He then spent that offseason in Mexico with Janie to clear his mind from professional baseball. In 1978, Quiz is again having a fantastic year. He picks up 15 saves. He's got a 4-2 record with a 2.39 ERA. But the restless-minded Quiz and he's starting to get antsy. And he feels like he's dead in the water. This is going nowhere. He begins to prepare himself for Janie that if he isn't in AAA next spring, he's going to quit. And he even enrolls at uh, Fresno Pacific College that winter to get his teaching degree in history. And side note, uh, you know, just an anecdotal thought here. I, I think Quiz would have been a great teacher. Honestly, he always looks more like a college professor, uh, professor than uh, an all-star closer when he was on the mound. And it's hard for me... Not to think, oh, man, I, I got to hurry up and not be late for Mr. Quisenberry's class. I mean, that just feels right. He would have been a fantastic educational conduit uh, conduit for the future young minds of our country. There, there's no doubt in my mind. Well, look, luckily for a quiz, and probably unlucky for some California high school student that was robbed of a really cool history teacher and baseball coach, Dan is assigned to A Omaha. In the spring of 1979, in July of that year, Royals infielder Jerry Terrell went on the DL. And Kansas City, desperate for arms, they call up Dan Quisenberry, Royals GM at the time, John Sherholtz. Years later, he acknowledged that no one within the organization really clamored for Quisen's promotion. The cupboard was bare. There were no other pitching options in the system. And Necessity is the mother of all inventions. And in this case, she was the mother of Dan Quisenberry. (laughs) I love that quote. That's awesome. And Quiz, who wrote a book of poetry before his untimely young death, once wrote about his rookie year and his major league debut. I was looking up when I took the ball for the first time my rookie year from Whitey Herzog, my knees shook like I was getting married. Lamar Johnson joined a two-hopper that Frank White snared from the mound to his right. That I never saw in the minor leagues. Frank White make a bomb-ass play. That would be a scene all repeated throughout uh, Quiz's career. Dan would finish that game. He gave up two hits. No walks, no runs. The Royals fell to the White Sox that day, 4-2. But there was no inclination that this guy would become the franchise's first great closer in the future. George Brett's thoughts uh, after that first game, he, he was filled with skeptical humor. He, he noted he looked funny, he threw funny, and I kept wondering why we hadn't just traded for someone already. But he goes on to have su- some success that rookie year. He goes 3-2 and two with 5 saves, 3.15 ERA. Not bad for a side armor with no heat and only one pitch, a sinker. And Dan, who was highly intelligent, knew. He wasn't blowing any major league hitters away. By visual standards, most people reckoned he would be up for just a cup of coffee. Quisenberry thrived on that challenge of having to prove himself, though, and, and it became a way of life for him. That first season, he used that as his fuel, and he never saw it as a detriment. In 1980, something happened that changed Quiz's baseball career forever. A week after the Pirates had beat the Orioles in the 1979 World Series, uh, Royals manager Whitey Herzog was replaced by Baltimore hitting coach Jim Fry. And we've talked about that insane World Series when the Pirates roared back from a three-games-to-one deficit to snatch the series of Baltimore in seven games. That's the We Are Family 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates show. You can listen to that wherever you listen to your pods. Or you can always go to diamondstakej.bobby.com to hear that or any of the other stories in my vault of archives. So, if you remember, one of the Pirates heroes from the series was Bucko's closer, Ken Colby, who was damn near unhittable. Besides, you know, a hiccup he had at Three Rivers in Game 4. He finished with that series with three saves. And he was a total fucking beast. Fry knew him well. He knew Chuck Taylor well. The, the, the manager of the Pirates. And the Royals and Pirates' camps, they weren't that far from each other. So in a game between Kansas City and Pittsburgh, Quiz struggles. So Fry goes to, c- to call me and he asks them, uh, Would you mind working with this Barry kid here? Antique, Always a gentleman. He obliged, but Quiz is kind of reluctant. He's thinking he really doesn't need to change. So the story goes like this: Fry, uh, Fry, tell us to call me. We want this guy to be just like you. He throws a little bit like you already, but he ain't got shit. And the whole time, Quiz is listening to Fry and Cheek in horror and disbelief. And you know, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I guys, I'm right here. I can hear you." And he's not happy with what he's hearing. But with coaches watching, T gets the sidearm quiz to drop that arm angle even lower into a submarine slot. And balls are flying everywhere except over the plate. He remembers Kent on the mound with him saying, there you go, Kent. a boy, good pitch. And the whole time, Dan is looking at the coaches on the steps, Watching him air balls and bounce pitches, and he's thinking to himself, I have no clue about what I'm doing here. Two days later, Pride puts him in a game, and Quiz does an exceptional job. And with that taste of success, and with the coach wanting him to improve with this new delivery, Quizenberry is on his way. So, think about that, good brothers and sisters. If Fry isn't hired in Kansas City. If he doesn't have this relationship with Chuck Tanner and Kentucky, if the Orioles, instead of folding like a beast towel in the world in the World Series the year before, stick a bat up to Colby's ass and make him look ordinary, this meeting may never happen. And Quisenberry doesn't fulfill his greatness. So for me, that's one big butterfly effect moment that could have gone either way. So Quiz is still throwing the sick of strikes, but he now has this pitching motion that resembles a Flamingo falling over as he releases the rock. And he's armed with this down under uh, near knuckle scraping delivery, and he begins dominating AL hitters. But not like most conventional closers who are now beginning to mark in this new 80s brand of baseball. I'm talking about the Goose Codgeses, the Lee Smith, the Bruce Suitors. He, Quisenberry was not overpowering by any stretch. He posted only 37 strikeouts, and he gave up 129 hits in 128 and a third innings pitched. But what Quiz always did well was throw strikes, and put his shorthanded defense to work. He only walked 27 batters in those 128-plus innings pitched. He picked up 12 wins, 33 saves. He entered 43 games that year in which the Royals were leading. And the team won all but two of those contests, as Kansas City won the AOS that year. The 1980 Royals, they were this loosey-goosey type of team with stalwart leaders in Hal McRae, George Brett, who hit 390 that year. He was only five hits shy of 400. And let's give credit where it's due. Fry not only had the vision to tweak quiz mechanically for the better, But he also had the confidence to give his first-year closer so much responsibility and every opportunity to sink or swim in the process. The Royals, I've touched this in the Kauffman Stadium show. They had a lot to prove to themselves and their fans as they were eliminated by the New York Yankees in three straight ALCS series in 1976, 1977, and 1978. And in 1980, uh, Kansas City is set to do battle against them in the playoffs again here, and they took the first two uh, games at home, 7-2 and 3-2. That latter victory, it involved some serious playoff drama, as Quiz would get Yankees third baseman Craig Nettles to end the game with a four six three 6 3 double play, and the time run left at first. A reporter asked Quiz what he threw to get Nettles to wiggle out of that jam. And without missing a beat, Quisenberry answers back an overhand curve. Ah, With history on their side, the boogie down Bronx is on fire. And the Yankees fans inside the hallowed house that Ruth built are not deterred by the Yankees faltering in Kansas City. In their minds, and in the minds of Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, the Pinstripes own KC. The notion of their bitches uprising and beating them is flat-out ridiculous. So, with the Royals holding a tight one nothing advantage to the bottom of the sixth, Reggie Jackson hits a one-out double of Paul Splittorff, and Fry goes to quiz. Sixth inning, folks. A little bit different stuff than what you see out of closers here in the 21st century, right? Sixth inning. First batter, Oscar Gamble, he drives in Reggie with a single, and that mighty Yankee Stadium playoff roar shakes the house to her bones. Gamble would advance the third on an uncharacteristic error by the short-handed second baseman Frank White. And Bombers catcher Rick Surround would hit a single driving in Gamble, as New York now has a 2-1 to advantage before the side is retired. In the top half of the seventh, Yankees pitcher Tommy John, he labors, giving up two out doubles to speedy center fielder Willie Wilson. The Yankees get the bully for the goose, Rich Gossage. As New York has to feel like, we got these dudes right where we want them. With the guy we want on the mound. Now, surprisingly, UL Washington, with his trademark uh, toothpick protruding from his mouth between clenched teeth, he raps a single... And here we go, striding to the plate, is the one guy in the lineup who is not intimidated by the Yankees. He's been demoralized and beaten to a pulp by them through the years, but he is not intimidated. In fact, he wants to be the guy who looks George and his team in the eye when he stabs them in the gut. I'd not like to say someone's going to be paying off these goddamn receipts and pool tonight. First pitch, Goose Riz back, bring some grade A smoke to the dish. First pitch, bang! That beautiful George Brett swing, the balance, the mechanics, the raw power with the smoothest of swings. I mean, it's like almost butter, baby. It is high, it is far, it is gone. See ya, third deck, right field, Yankee Stadium. And I remember like it was yesterday. You, you probably do too if you're a C-man in my age range. What you might not remember is how Quiz shut the Bombers down after coming in in the sixth. After that shaky sixth, that saw Quiz get put up against the ropes. He came out in the seventh firing on all cylinders, shutting down the Yanks for an easy one, two, three inning. In the eighth, he surrendered a lead on triple to Bob Watson. And then, uncharacteristically, Quisenberry walks the next two guys. But, with the bases loaded, no outs. Game three, possible clinch game, eighth inning. Quiz gets the to line drive into a double play, six to four, forcing Watson to hold his ground at third. And then, he gets Jim Spencer to beat a ball into the ground for the inning-ending ground out. And with two outs at the bottom of the ninth, he called Willie Randolph with a backwards K-pod on a 3-2 count with his outpitch that sinker, setting the Kansas City Royals to their first World Series franchise in franchise history. Now, unfortunately, the Magic faded in a series that featured two teams looking for the first World Series championship in team history, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Royals. Uh, probably leaned on quiz a little too much in hindsight. Uh, calling his number in all six games. And even Philly's first baseman, Pete Rose, quipped, you know, Jim Pry is giving us the World Series by letting us look at Quizzaberry's delivery so much. Dan's last two games in the 1980 series, uh, I'm sorry, he lost two games in the 1980 World Series as the Phillies were celebrating their series win. Quizz stood by his locker answering questions from the reporter, reporters, and accepting the blame for the series loss. Like he told Brett in their last lunch together. I can handle this. The Royals would advantage the loss somewhat on, T- on on the TV game show Family Feud in the offseason when they beat the Phillies. The interaction between Richard Dawson and Quiz is classic as their banner pretty much stole the show. The Quiz once explained that Humor is a lot like a sinker. If I try to force my sinker, it don't do nothing. No velocity, no sink. Same with humor. The 1981 season, had started off rocky. Dan was unhappy about his ongoing contract negotiations. The team played so bad, it cost Tim Frye his job. And with a player strike on the horizon... Quiz was challenged by his responsibilities of being a Union player rep, a new father, and the closer for the defending AL champs. And he would actually lose his closer role in the beginning of that season due to his ineffectiveness. When the 1981 strike goes down, the Royals are a mediocre 20 and 30. And fortunately for KC, when the season uh, resumed, the slate was cleaned off as the league... Counted the work stoppage by splitting the season into two halves. After starting the second half playing 500 ball at 10 and 10, the Royals fired Jim Fry. They replaced him with Dick Hauser. On August 31st, they won the uh, the second half AL West with a 30 and 23 record. And by the middle of the second half, Quiz regained his brilliance and reclaimed his closer role by finding a delivery in his fall, as he would so succinctly put it. However, the first half, uh, AL champs, the Oakland A's, they would sweep the Royals in the best-of-five division series with Quiz only getting one inning of work, a clean ninth inning in Game 2. He again led the AL in saves in 1982, with thirty-five, but the Royals struggled all year with drug scandals, primarily with Willie Mays Aikens and Willie Wilson. And folks, I've covered this plenty here at BKP, most prominently with the drug trials of nineteen eighty-five show that we did here, and I also have a sit-down interview I did with Willie Mays Aikens, who was sentenced to twenty years in prison for. Possession and distribution of cocaine, as well as firearm charges. And that interview is on the Backwards K-Pod YouTube channel. And let me tell you, that guy's got a story to tell. I came away from that interview with my face melted off by his honesty and transparency. And you should check that out. My one-on-one interview with former slugging Royals first baseman, Willie Mays Akins. On the Backwards K-Pod YouTube channel. But I digress. Even though this team had challenges along the way. Quiz solidified himself as one of the elite closers in the bigs. He was no longer like this now novelty act and a funky delivery guy. He was no longer considered a fluke. The scouting reports are going around, and they say that Quisenberry can get ready fast with a resilient arm. He can go every single day. His above-average fielding skills that plays well with his sinker. He can pitch more than two full innings if need be, and his repertoire of pitches has expanded from just a sinker to now a slider, a circle change, and a slow-moving knuckleball he discovered while barnstorming Japan during the offseason. Quisenberry and his beautiful wife, uh, I'm sorry, Quisenberry and his uh, beautiful mind, well, he was playing chess, while the AL betters, you know, they're, they're helpless in the box. They're guessing. They're caught playing checkers. And Quiz, and this magnificent brain of his, I mean, he was. He was. He was a metrics and analytics nerd long before it became hip to be square. He kept detailed reports after every game. He pitched, you know, against every opposing, and he always kept a record of it. He believed in numbers and batter's tendencies and all that hard work and study. It must have paid off because in 1983, he had probably the best season of his career. In fact, let's take a look at Quiz's dominant 1983 stats. Okay, so, first things first. Quiz had a 5.5 war as opposed to White Sox pitcher Lamar Hoyts, 3.7, who wound up as the 1983 AL Cy Young winner. The Sox won the West by 20 games that year over a second place Kansas City Royals. And, you know, that weighed heavily in a lot of the award voting back then. I'm not saying you should have won the Cy Young that year. That's for you to decide. But in retrospect, here in the analytics age, that is quite a difference of war there. 5.5 to 3.7. Quiz finished second that year in Cy Young voting. Fifth in AL MVP voting. And he made the American League All-Star team. 139 innings pitched. 536 batters faced. He went 5-3 with 1.94 ERA. Led the AL appearing in 69 games, 62 of those 69 games he finished, set the American League record with 45 saves, gave up only 6 domes allowed 11 walks, 11 walks, folks, all year, 536 batters faced 11 walks, 2 of them were intentional, so let's say 9, he averaged less than a walk every 9 innings. However, in, uh, you know, true quiz fashion, he only struck out 48 batters in 1983. He averaged a mere 3.1 strikeouts per nine. No balks, no hit-by-pitch, no wild pitches. This dude throws strikes, and he puts his defense to work every day, baby. That's right. He's a samurai. A 210 ERA plus, a 2.86 fifth, and a .93 whip. He won his third Aids Relief Award given to each league's best closer every year. So, wow. You know, just a kick-ass season by my quiz there. And, he followed that up with another dominant season in 1984. He picked up 44 saves that year. Just one shy of tying the AL record that he set the year before. He wins the AIDS Relief Award for his fourth time. And the Royals clinched the AL West pennant. But, they would get swept by those mighty 1984 Tigers that we'll be talking about next week. Dan Quisenberry was a hard luck loser in Game Two of that series when he uh, came into uh, a tie game at threes in the ninth. After a backbreaking error in the eleventh, the Tigers were able to break the deadlock open, score two runs, and they clinched the AL pennant. That ALCS uh, featured at that time. The game's most uh, dynamic AL closers that year by far. Quiz and Tigers closer Willie Hernandez, who beat out Quiz by the slimmest of margins, wound up taking the Cy home that year for a second year in a row. Quiz is the Cy Young runner up, but he moves up to third in AL MVP voting and he finishes with 12 more saves than Willie Hernandez. The 1985 season just starts off with a bang. When it's announced that owner, Avron Fogelman, announces he's going to sign Quiz, Frank White, and Willie Wilson to a lifetime contract. And it's tied to his real estate holdings. So, it doesn't work out in the end. But, there's reason to be excited on this day. The Royals went down to the wire to win the AL West that year. Quiz led the league with 37 saves to lead the league for that. Uh, fourth consecutive year, but he did blow 12, and he was getting the sense that Dick Hauser was beginning to lose faith in him. Uh, especially after he stumbled in Game 2 of the ALCS versus Toronto, but he did get the final outs of Game 6 and 7 to propel Kansas City into the I-70 Show Me State World Series showdown with the St. Louis Cardinals and former Royals manager Whitey Herzog. And much like the ALCS series versus the Blue Jays, the Royals dug themselves into a hole, losing the first game at home. and game three, Bet saberhanger put the Royals on his back with a 6-1 complete game victory. And I covered this series in the history of uh, Kaufman show. We went into it pretty deep, so you can check that out there. I'm just going to give you the clip notes here this week. Uh, cards pitcher John Tudor, he put the Royals in check with a 5-hit shutout to Game 4. And that puts the Royals on the brink of elimination here. And putting him in the position where they need to win 3 straight elimination games. Now, thankfully, Kansas City pitcher Danny Jackson, he answers with a 5-hitter for a 6-1 to Royals victory in Game 5. Sending the series back to Kansas City. And, of course, Game 6 will go down in history as one of the most egregious umpire miscalls in World Series history. With the cards clinging to a one to nothing lead in the ninth inning in game six in a season and which St. Louis hadn't cough up a ninth inning lead all year. Royals outfielder uh, Jorge Orta. He hits a routine ground ball to first baseman Jack Clark, who feels it cleanly, underhands it to cards closer Todd Worrell, who was racing to cover the bag. Umpire Don Deckinger calls Orta safe, even though replays showed that he was clearly out. And that game changing call opened the floodgates. But it would eventually end with Cardinal, uh, former Cardinal Dane. Org, singling home the tying run and, and winning run for the 2-1 season saving victory. And Quiz would pick up the save in that game. Now, Game 7 was 11-0 blowout by Kansas City behind the bat of Daryl Motley and his three ribbies and the dominant filth that Samerhagen was bringing that night. And again, I covered this at the uh, Calpin Stadium show, and there's even a real cool interview with George Brett who tells us that he tells Saberhagen, when he gets this last out, make sure I'm the first person to shake your hand. And it's really cool stuff. You can find that on all platforms or at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com and that's the history of Kauffman Stadium. For a quiz, the biggest thrill of being a world champion was receiving a call from President Reagan, who personally congratulated him When the world champion royals visited the Rose Garden at the White House four days later, the president said that you've proven to America what a never-say-die spirit can do. And he also uh, personally apologized to Quiz for calling him Jim. To which the closer replied, that's okay, Don. The 1986 Royals, they suffered a World Series hangover. And even though Quisenberry was pitching well, the team now had a closer by committee trio of arms that included Dan, uh, Bud Black, Steve Farr. But the bottom fell out when manager Dick Hauser was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, This came after he was feeling sick. He was having a hard time conveying signals from the dugout. While well, he would go on representing the American League at the All-Star Game as the manager, he led the AL to a 3-2 to victory, and that would be the last ball game that Dick Hauser would ever manage. The Royals hired Mark Ferraro to replace him, and they went to the finish line with a 78-86 and record. The introspective uh, quiz, who would eventually meet the same fate as his skipper years later, he gave his take on seeing his manager fade away. In the baseball universe. I was looking up when Dick Hauser told us he couldn't manage us anymore. Go on without him. More to life than playing baseball. He died that summer. We froze and played like statues. After recovering from the brain surgery, Hauser did attempt to come back at Port Myers Spring Training Camp... He sadly had to admit to himself, to the team, he was just too weak to continue on. And here was Dan's final ode to Dick Hauser, The small man who fought big now looked us in the eye. Just a man who no longer talked of winning, but hinted at life beyond. Champagne. Billy Gardner was hired to replace him, but he couldn't. Honestly, no one probably could have at that time. Hauser died June 17, 1987, at St. Luke's Hospital at the age of 51. Gardner was replaced by Quiz's former battery mate, John Wappin, who provided a little spark, but the team finished second to the Twins. The Royals' era was fading into the sands of time, and Quiz began to read the writing on the wall. He had a decent 2.76 ERA, but his role was reduced. He only pitched 29 innings. He finished with eight saves. He grew frustrated by his lack of playing time, and he made his feelings known. The Royals wished him well and granted him his release on July 4th, 1988, Independence Day. He promptly signed with the interstate NL team, the St. Louis Cardinals. During the first day of card spring training, he wrote, I was looking up in the mirror, showed a red hat on my head, a different logo, it looks foreign, like in a prism, felt it too, like a defector in a new land, except Whitey, again, was the manager. And initially, Quiz was excited to go to the AL, he he reunited with his old manager, Whitey Herzog who was basically the first skipper to ever have faith in him. He also drew inspiration from his old mentor, Kent Colby, who fell out of favor in Pittsburgh only to rebound with the Philadelphia Phillies. And that gave him hope that he could follow suit and do the same thing that Tink did. He made 38 appearances with St. Louis in 1988, but the results weren't pretty. He had a bowling shoe ugly 6.16 ERA, but the Cards brought him back the next year, and he did fairly well, saving six games with a 2.64 ERA. He also got his first and only hit of his Major League Baseball career with an RBI single of Dodgers pitcher Tim Belcher on July 6th. But Quiz knew he was at the end of the line. He was contently preparing to walk away and raise his two children, the Cards released him at the end of the 1989 season, and he assumed it was over. But from the shadows, the San Francisco Giants approached him, and he signed him to a two-year deal. Larry Stone from the San Francisco Examiner, he asked Quiz, what do you have to offer to the to the Giants at this point in your career? And on cue, Quiz and replies, I can pitch any time in the game. I don't get riled. I throw strikes. I get guys out. I know know how to get along in the clubhouse. I know how to help young kids. Let's see. I throw 100 miles per hour. I hit home runs. I steal bags. You choose. Which one applies? And it all sounded good. But the Giants and Quiz, they quickly realized the game was telling him it's over. He pitched in only five games for the first time in his career. The arm hurt. His last appearance... They came in at 13-3 blowout loss to the San Diego Padres on April 23rd, 1990. He came in just to get one out in the second with the Giants already down 5 nothing. He breezed to the third with no worries, and then he got hammered for three runs in the fourth. And that was enough for Quiz. It wasn't fun anymore. His run was over. And on the day he announced his retirement, the Giants sent him to home plate with pregame lineup cards. And he told the guy, reporters, after the game, it's my turn. It's a rite of passage. I'm doing what I have to do. And when he was asked what's next for him, he responded. I got a big pile of laundry I've been wanting to do. At the end of the day, along with his thoughts, he wrote this. It lasted so long, it went so fast. It seems like yesterday. It seems like never. As much as Quiz loved baseball, he transitioned away from the game easily because in his inquisitive mind, it was always exploring, learning, creating. He took up poetry. He amassed enough content to write a book entitled On Days Like This. I highly recommend this book. His baseball poems are the uh, under the heading covering first, and his poems about life are under stuff that could be true, okay, in 1998, while on vacation with his family in Colorado, his vision had become blurry unexpectedly, so he figured he would go see the doctor, and he figured out what was wrong with his eyes, he was shocked when the doctors came back saying that they had found a grade four malignant astrocytoma in his brain, which is I mean, the most deadly of the deadly. Soon thereafter, he had surgery to remove the tumor. He gave a press conference with his soulmate Janie by his side. He used humor to keep everyone at ease. But there was no denying the utter hopelessness felt when the news broke. The link to former manager Dick Hauser, as well as the four players from the 1980 postseason who died from brain cancer. Bobby Mercer... Johnny Oates, Tug McGraw, John Bukovic. And he told reporters that Hauser was a feisty man. And then he became this mellow guy who would now say things like, don't worry about that on the field stuff. Just do your best and the winning and losing will take care of itself. And for quiz, it was strange to hear that from this type A leader with standards. But he also said, now as I sit here, I know exactly what he means. It's like getting new eyes. So in a way, it's a gift. And the piece is incredible. I mean, just in a an amazing way, this guy looks at things. On May 30th, the Royals inducted Dan Quisenberry into the Team Hall of Fame. He literally had to be coaxed into coming out to Kauffman that day in celebration of him before a game with the A's as he and Jane circled the stadium of 30,000 ravenous fans and a red Corvette. The fans and players from both teams, they showed the two appreciative tears and cheers of love. As Quiz sat there in his shaved head smiling, he says, wow. It's been a long time since I had a good year. And though his vision had diminished and his bald head it bore the evidence of this prince of a man battling for his life, his mind was as sharp as ever at the ensuing press conference. A reporter asked him, is there a lesson in all this? And Quisenberry thought for a few seconds. And he asked the reporter to define this. He then fades off the question because he doesn't want to sound all cliche, right? He's a little better than that. So later, another reporter asked him about his accomplishments. And he says, I don't think about those things. I needed so much help. I needed a great wife. I needed Willie Wilson and center field. I needed a great second baseman. And God gave me Frank White. And then quiz. He turns to, to the reporter that he kind of shook off the question from earlier. And you can tell that he was still thinking about that question and how to respond. And you can see that Quisenberry spirit that George Brett spoke of at the beginning. How he never accepts saves and he only blames himself for losses. Quiz hated to let his teammates down. And you can tell he doesn't want this reporter to walk away disappointed. So after eloquently, uh, eloquently stating all the things... That he needed in this world to ensure his success. He centers himself. And he focuses on the reporter clearly. Through his bad vision. And he says. We all need each other. That is the lesson. Derek Quisenberry died. Surrounded by his loving family at the age of 45 years old. In his home in Leawood, Kansas on September 30th, 1998. He is buried at Mount Moriah Cemetery in Kansas City. And I can only imagine him surrounded by his loved ones in the end. As he looked into their faces and their tears streaming down their cheeks. Quisenberry, who was always thoughtful of others and their feelings... He must have thought to himself, please don't cry for me, guys. I can handle it. Happy 70th birthday, Mr. Quisenberry. You are missed, and time will not dim the glory of your deeds. And, look, that, must seem med friends, is the story of Dan Quisenberry. Before we get out of here, I want to take a look at his career stats of this wonderful human being, who also happened to pitch. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, let's let's get a final look. See here, Daniel Raymond Quisenberry, born in Santa Monica, California, on February seventh, nineteen fifty-three. Seventy years ago today, upon the release of this week's show, happy birthday, quiz. Made his Major League Baseball debut July 8th, 1979, at the age of 26 versus the White Sox. Two and two-thirds innings pitched, two hits, zero strikeouts, zero walks, zero runs, and a 4-2 loss. His last game came on April 23rd, 1990, against the San Diego Padres. He went two and a third, gave up four hits, zero strikeouts, one walk, and four earned runs in a blowout loss. He had a career war of 24.6. A lifetime record of 54 and 46, with a 2.676 ERA. 4,247 Major League batters faced. He appeared in 674 games, 244 career saves. He became only the fifth closer upon his retirement to have over 200 saves. 1,043 and a third innings pitched. 1,064 hits allowed. 356 runs surrendered. 320 of those runs were earned. Uh, 59 home runs allowed. So check this out. 4,275 four batters faced. And over 1,000 innings pitched. Quiz only walked 162 batters in his 12-year career. And check it out. 70 of those were intentional. So really, he walked around 88 batters in his career unintentionally. And he averaged about 60 walks for every 162 games. you fucking kidding me. And that comes out to about 1.4 every 9 innings. He had this amazing, uncanny control for such an unusual delivery. Three-time American League All-Star Representative Five-time roll Age Relief Award winner. He was in the top five for AL Cy Young five times. Four times in top ten voting for American League MVP. 379 career strikeouts. Not a big strikeout pitcher. You know, not one of these big power arm closers. Like the ones, you know, we see in that Roll Sense quiz. He, he only averaged about 38 strikeouts in 162-game season. Four wild pitches his whole career. A 146 ERA Plus most impressive. A 3.24 FIP and a 1.18 whip. He was a rubber arm extraordinaire. He could go multiple innings virtually every day. And he was a charter member of a group of closers in the 1980s who would change that bully role forever. Happy 70th birthday, Mr. Dan Quisenberry. So look folks. I think I'm going to cut right there. I'm so glad that uh, you guys can hang out with me in my sandbox this week, build a couple sandcastles. I hope you enjoyed hearing Quizz's story as much as I enjoyed telling it. Uh, Just a guy I was always fascinated with and truly one of the best human beings of my generation to ever lace up a pair of cleats. So... With Dan Quisenberry now added to my collection of ballplayers, I chop off the head of our baseball hydra, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. I now turn my steely eye to next week's topic, one of the biggest forces of nature um, baseball team in my lifetime, a team that... I feel like it doesn't get remembered enough. I'm talking about the Bless You Boys 1984 Detroit Tigers. The team that started the season 35-5. and They never looked back. And they basically, you know, they just bullied teams along the way to a World Series championship. I mean, it, it, it was incredible. And I can't wait. One of the most single most dominant single season teams ever. I mean the 1984 bless you boys, Detroit Tigers. We're going to get all into that business next week. But look, that's another pod for another story here at Backwards K-Pod where we collect ballplayers and their stories. Parents, have you see your kid sitting on the couch like a board AF? By all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillenbrand told me in our one-on-one interview a couple months ago, you go to hell, lady, he, Penny. See you next week, Steamheads. I love you guys. Peace.